0: Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Good morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, be with us this morning and fill us with the wonder of your love. May we worship the Christ child with tenderness of the wise men, and may we find our true home sitting at Jesus' feet. Amen. This morning, the theme we shall ponder is the beautiful, sentimental, often painful, and always complex notion of home. It is the 12th day of Christmas today, as Alan said, and tomorrow, the day of Epiphany, will end our 12 days of feasting. I'm a big believer in celebrating all 12 days of Christmas. We long for home, and, and at Christmas time, many of us think of home. We long for home. We sentimentalize our homes. We might be far away from home. We try to fill our homes with joy, and sometimes we are sick of home and wish we weren't home. Today, our Old Testament passage, Jeremiah 31, and our New Testament passage, Ephesians 1, both help us grapple with the meaning of home, both in the present and past tense in this current age and in the future tense in new creation with our Lord. The creators of the lectionary put these passages together, along with our gospel passage, for a reason. The scriptures all point to the ultimate redemption that the little Christ child brings, which will bring us all to a home beyond our imagining. The poetry of our Old Testament scripture, Jeremiah 31, is vivid and passionate. It's a song of longing for home. It's written by Jeremiah in a time when the whole nation of Israel is far away from their home, and their greatest communal hope is to be at home together once again in the land that they love. The powerful Babylonians had ransacked their homeland and forced all the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to march into captivity back to Babylon, where they would live in exile for generations. Yet the hope and promise of returning to that home, of God's promise to deliver them and usher them back to the land of their ancestors, it fills their hearts with such joy. It's a sentiment many of us understand at Christmas time, as we too long for home, as some of us journey far to return home. For Judson and I this Christmas, this was a 14-hour journey of endless plodding through the back roads of South Carolina to avoid the parking lot that was I-95, to get to Florida to be with my family in my hometown. All worth it to feel the joy of home. Why is it that the homes of our childhoods can grip our hearts so profoundly? I was reflecting on this question a lot over Christmas, walking the well-worn lake path around the lake I grew up on, a path I've walked at least a thousand times. I think home is really another word for intimacy, for deep knowing. The emotion that I feel when I'm at home sits warm and poignant somewhere deep down in my body, as if it is a root sinking my body deep into the ground. The feeling of being home is the feeling of being grounded in a place that knows me as well as I know it. As I walk around that lake, I know every bend and turn. I know the shape of the banks of the lake. I know the places where the sandhill cranes and the egrets like best, and the oak tree where the bald eagles are most likely to rest. I know the shape of turning back home and could find the way back to my house in the pitch black. I know the feel of the grass under my feet as I turn up my front yard, and the squeak of the front gate, and the sound of my mom's wind chimes on the porch. And beyond my knowing, my home knows me. Throughout childhood and I have told, adolescence, I have told many secrets to that lake and its creatures, and they have kept those secrets well. And of course, there are the people of home that know me better than I know myself, who love me and care for me with tenderness and faithfulness. I know the particular beloved resonances of my dad's baritone voice as he reads aloud to us. I know the smooth skin of my mother's hands, which I have held so many times, and nothing delights me more than my sister's big dimples connected to her wry grin. I love the line from song, the song in the musical Fiddler on the Roof, where one of the daughters who is leaving home sings that home is a place where I feel happily content to be as I am where I am, close to the people who are close to me here in the home I love. But then there are moments when home lets us down particularly in adulthood when we feel numb and exhausted and all the magic of our childhood home feels remote, or perhaps we were dreaming it, perhaps it was nostalgia, or perhaps there is conflict with those we love or rupture in our family, and the places and people that once felt like home feel like exile. And in those moments, our longing becomes more intense and we examine that longing, that longing for intimacy and peace. I think the true magic of home, particularly when we are children, is actually our feeling of the presence of the Holy Spirit, which we are more sensitive to as children. When I return home, I can enter into a simpler, quieter mode of being from childhood that I struggle to enter into as an adult in other places. It's an internal stillness that God can speak into. It's a feeling of wonder and completeness that cannot be produced. It's a true grace from God. It's what Jesus is referring to when he says that the kingdom of God belongs to little children, that they have a unique access to God's heavenly realm breaking into earth. I think this has to do with the capability of children to be fully present where they are and attuned to what God is doing in creation and through his Holy Spirit. When I read our gospel passage of the Magi, the three kings, and the story of the coming of the little Christ child, I always imagine my home and my lake at night, lit up with Christmas lights. I think of the small church of my childhood. The story of Jesus and Christmas is fused with the place that I was first told this story, the place where I first heard the good, good news of Jesus as a child. Our gift of the Holy Spirit as Apostle Paul calls it in the Ephesians passage, is not a displaced gift. It is a placed one. We experience the good news of Jesus in the places and with the people we are in relationship with. All that is pure, all that is holy, all that is truly magical, all love and cherishing, all of that comes only from God. When we experience pure joy in our homes, that is the gift not of our own making, but it is an experience of the Christ's gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in verse 14 that Jesus gives us his spirit, Holy Spirit, quote, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. This experience of the Holy Spirit we receive at Christmas time and throughout the church year during worship, celebration and seasons of feasting, during Epiphany and Pentecost, and every Sunday during Holy Communion. This experience of the Holy Spirit that we experience with our beloved friends and family during meals around a table or on camping trips or at birthday parties, these experiences are all a taste of the home that we will feel with a thousand times the intensity in the new creation to come. Paul uses the language of inheritance here. That in the resurrection, new creation is an inheritance we will receive if we are Christ's own. That new creation is a land. It is a place a state of being, a culture, a family, an eternal home, we will inherit as heirs in the time when all is fulfilled. This language is a bit foreign to modern ears as our homes and places are more often than not, not inherited but purchased. Most folks don't want the homes, the towns, the possessions of our parents. Perhaps they're too outdated, too rural, too small, too mustard yellow. We are a people largely unrooted, hypermobile, always wanting the next thing, never staying put. It's hard for us to inhabit the mindset of Jeremiah or Paul because the modern era frames our longings towards moving away, not towards longing to return to the place of our ancestors. But for the nation of Israel in exile in Babylon, returning to the land God had gifted them was their deepest communal desire. Scripture portrays God's desire for Israel, the promised land, to be a foretaste for all the world of new creation it is a place where god people and land are all united in peace and flourishing when israel rebels against this vision and they are the people are driven into exile as a result they long to return to zion and to try again they realize the error of their ways and their squandering of god's gift to them don't we also do this as a culture God offers us communities of peace and love and Sabbath rest and contentment, and we trade this inheritance for cheap substitutes that do not fulfill us and leave us worn and ragged. We create exiles of our own making. But Jeremiah's vision in chapter 31 speaks hope to the nation of Israel, portraying a day when God will gather his people from the far corners of the earth where they are exiled, and we will bring them home, weeping and praying, Jeremiah says. Verse 11 and 12, For the Lord will deliver Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine, and the olive oil, the young of the flocks and herds. They will be like a well-watered garden, and they will sorrow no more. Israel will return home, and the land itself will rejoice at their coming welcoming them home with a feast of abundance that flows from the land itself. As exiles in the cities of Babylon, the captured Israelites would have had no freedom and no access to land. They would have been held in bondage. Zion represented a place of freedom from oppression. After years of being in captivity, just as they were in Egypt's generations before, they are parched and thirsty. Jeremiah promises them that when they return, the people themselves will become a well-watered garden. This is an image hearkening back to Eden. The possibility for an Eden-like peace and abundance is offered by God to his people once again. And as Christians, we read this prophecy of Jeremiah as not only promising a homecoming to to Jeremiah's particular audience in his time, but to all of the family of God grafted into the nation of Israel. We read this passage during Christmas tide because we believe that it is Jesus, the Son of God, who will be the one who releases us from bondage and will lead us into a renewed Eden. Jesus, the firstborn of creation, will be our guide into new creation, our inheritance. He is the one who will quote, "Turn our mourning into gladness." He will give them, he will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow, as it says in Jeremiah thirty-one verse thirteen. The familiar lyrics of comfort and joy at Christmas time come from this Jeremiah prophecy. Perhaps we, the reason that many receive an extra dose of love for home at Christmas time is because God, because God wants to give us a taste of the ultimate home that this little baby born to us is ushering us into this eternal home of comfort and joy, this home that is a well watered garden. In our Ephesians passage in verses 8 to 10, St. Paul says, "With all wisdom and understanding, the Father made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ." What a stunningly beautiful sentence. Leave it to Paul. What is he saying? What he is saying here is that through the Holy Spirit, The Father allows us, like the prophet Jeremiah, to have a prophetic vision of what God is up to through Jesus, from the moment of his birth to his return at the second coming. It gives God pleasure, Paul says, to give us a glimpse into the mysteries of his will. He wants us to know his plans for the redemption of all creation, accomplished through his Son. Jesus is bringing unity to heaven and and earth, Paul says. Two things that were ripped apart by the fall are going to be brought together through Christ in new creation when the times reach their fulfillment. The reason we can read this passage from Jeremiah as a prophecy of the ultimate homecoming is because the Holy Spirit has gifted the church with an ability to see that all scriptures point to Jesus and his mission of redemption. Jesus himself tells his followers this when he visits them after the resurrection, that all scriptures point to him. We pray that after we die, we will be resurrected into this united heaven and earth. We and all who belong to Christ will inherit a land more beautiful than we can ever imagine. But the thing that will make new creation home is not its beauty or its majesty, but the fact that it is there we will live in full intimacy with God. The thing that makes any place home is the presence of the Lord. This is good news particularly for those who have experienced homelessness here on earth, those who have no homes in this life, who've been forced out of their homes by political violence, or whose homes have been rent apart by death or divorce. It is good news for all who struggle with profound homesickness. It is comfort and joy for those whose earthly families are a great disappointment. It is good news because in Christ, all things that hinder intimacy will be done away with. There will be no alienation or numbness in our eternal life with God. We cannot imagine how at home we will feel with the family of God and new creation. The banquet table of God's giant family reunion in the time to come will be splendid. My people will be filled with my bounty, declares the Lord. In John 14, 2, Jesus says, My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. What does this mean for our current time, for our lives as we wait for new creation? What is home for us now? Well, St. Paul says that in him we were also chosen in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. God chooses us to have faith in Jesus and his plan for all creation to be a light in a dark world. He chooses us to be bearers of God's glory to our dark world. And if Christ is preparing an ultimate home for all of us, are not we to give a taste to the world of that home in this current age? Leslie Newbegin, in a quote that my husband Judson and I will use at least 10,000 times in our sermons before we die, says that the church is to be a sign, an instrument, and a foretaste of God's coming kingdom. The church is to be a sign, an instrument, and a foretaste of God's coming kingdom. What does it mean for us to make our homes a sign, instrument, and foretaste of new creation to come? Well, I think, quite simply, it means making our homes places of intimacy with God, And from that intimacy with God flows out our intimacy with families, intimacy with neighbors, intimacy with strangers, and intimacy with the land on which we live and the non-human creatures that live with us there. This act of holy homemaking includes each one of us, not just our mothers Though bless them for their tireless efforts. Together, as the family of Christ, we each do our part to create homes and church homes that offer belonging in a very lonely society. Our greatest longing for our homes should be that they are places of holy welcome and that when people enter into them, they feel the hospitality of Jesus. The amazing gift we are given by God at Christmas is the knowledge that in Jesus, God dwelt on earth. And through his Holy Spirit, Jesus dwells with us now. When we are baptized members of his body, Christ Jesus dwells in our homes. He takes up residence with us. And thank Jesus, thank goodness, Jesus' spirit does not only live in Martha Stewart and Joanna Gaines-approved homes. I am very grateful for this, as my house is dirty more often than not, filled with dirt from our farm and dog hair and clutter. Homes take so many myriads of forms, with families and friends in apartments, houses, homeless shelters, rehab facilities, nursing homes. The Christ child made his home in a dirty stable. His mere presence there transformed it into a place fit for kings and their luxurious gifts. Think of how radiant that little stable looks in nativity scenes and throughout Christian art. It's a place where we long to be simply because there God dwells. Jesus comes into lowly places and makes them lovely. The beauty of our homes is fostered by the very presence of Jesus, through whom all was created, creating life in the very places we dwell. We are co-creators with God when we create our homes. So I want to give testimony about my father and mother a minute because I'm grateful to them for the home they have co-created with God and because it's still Christmas for one more day and you're allowed to be sentimental and sappy at Christmas. (laughs) 30 years ago, my parents bought a small rundown um, house with a denuded yard and 30 years of hard work and lots of loving care, they have transformed it into a little oasis of abundant life. The more they have loved that little square of land, the more beautiful it becomes. The house is lovely and cozy and envelops you as you enter it. The yard is a splendid jungle of native plants and flowers, artfully arranged by my mother, who is a painter with plants, with a lot of muscle power from my dad. The land is now host to countless creatures, from armadillos to foxes to songbirds to exotic moths, all because they've been made welcome by the habitat created, with lots of food and shelter for flora and fauna. My parents, throughout my childhood, modeled a kind of Christian hospitality that meant our house was routinely filled with other people whom they loved on well. They intentionally cultivated relationships within our church community and outside of it and reached out to folks experiencing loneliness. My friends growing up often commented that our house was a place where they could be themselves. Now, don't get me wrong. The Connors are full of sin, and, and we fail often. In large and often comical ways, we are a family given to chaos, as Judson can give testament to. But nonetheless, it is a place where I have felt the presence of God so powerfully. I give credit to my awesome mom and dad for cultivating such a home. But I also give credit to the Holy Spirit, who nudged them along, who formed the desires of their hearts for our home. We live in a world where so many forces push against the cultivation of home. Consumerism flattens the places we dwell and makes everywhere look the same. Our screen addiction keeps us permanently plugged into somewhere else, inattentive to the wonder all around us in non-artificial creation. Relationships struggle to endure over the decades. Good housing is more and more expensive. So many people feel at sea in a scary world far from home. So as Christians, what is our response to this exile? Our response should be like Jeremiah, to tell the world to rejoice because we are going home. We will not always mourn from homesickness, for Jesus is bringing us all home. Our response should be to welcome others, including our own children and families, to experience a taste of this heavenly home in our own homes. I love sitting in my mother's gardens because they give me, give me an imagination for how beautiful a new creation will be, full of color and light and a great diversity of creatures. I love eating Caribbean comfort food in Sarah Charles's kitchen because the comfort of her hospitality remembers, reminds me of the comfort to come. I love sitting with my community group at Buddy and Sarah Hocutt's kitchen table, feeling the joy of Christ's feast to come. I love watching the endless rotation of visitors at the Hawkins family home as they selflessly host anyone and everyone who needs a place to spend a holiday or a few months in their home. It reminds me that Jesus welcomes everyone into the home he is preparing. Today we are going to offer you a ritual, a sacrament that we do um, where we bless chalk to chalk our doors and Ben's going to tell you more about that but I invite you to bless your home through this liturgy and bless and pray that the Holy Spirit would come and dwell with you that 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 Jesus would take up residence in your homes and that your homes would be light and life in a dark world may the Lord bless us and keep us as we journey together towards home towards our eternal dwelling with the Lord who loves us all more deeply than we know